Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the Dayson Digest podcast. I'm Travis Jones, a liaison pharmacist with Dayson. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss surgical prophylaxis. And this episode is being recorded on Friday, August 26. So I'm sure you all know that surgical prophylaxis is a pretty major topic that comes up regularly at many of our hospitals. And for good reason, because Surgical site infections represent not only a tremendous burden on patients, but also on healthcare resources. And a study published in 2018 revealed that the average cost of a surgical site infection ranged between four dollars and $25,000. But when prosthetics were involved, the average cost was around $90,000. And there's obviously a delicate balance between administering enough antibiotics to protect our patients from developing a surgical site infection um, with minimizing the risks associated with overuse of antibiotics. So in that vein, when we're asked about surgical prophylaxis, the topics vary widely, including questions about which agents are the most appropriate, how to manage patients that report an allergy to some of our first-line agents, whether pre-surgical MRSA NAERS testing and decolonization is effective, whether topical preparations of antibiotics that are used during surgery is safe, and the list goes on. But perhaps the most common question is, how long should we continue antibiotics after surgery? And I hope to cover the answer to that question in this podcast episode. But before I get into that, I want to talk about our DASON antibiotic use data and how antibiotics that are given for surgical prophylaxis may not be captured or visualized in your annual benchmark report. As you may know, antibiotics that are given for surgical prophylaxis are often given in the operating room just prior to surgery. Well, these units are not considered inpatient units, so antibiotics administered in these locations may not be included in our annual benchmark report. In addition, the primary agent that we use or that is used for surgical prophylaxis, cefazolin, is not included in many of the agent groups that we commonly um, include in many of our reports. All that's to say, if there's an issue surrounding antibiotics used for surgical prophylaxis, it doesn't necessarily just show up or jump out at us. We sort of have to go looking for it. The good news is that we can find these antibiotic administrations. And so I want to talk a little bit about antibiotic use metrics. So if you're a contact at a DASON site, you're probably familiar with the most common metric that we use in our benchmarking data, which is days of therapy per 1,000 patient days. This metric, uh, of course, allows us to compare antibiotic use among hospitals while accounting for differences in patient volume. As with any metric that includes a numerator and denominator, if you reduce the numerator, days of antibiotic therapy in this case, while maintaining the same denominator, patient days, then your overall rate of use would decrease. So you might be thinking, what does this have to do with surgical prophylaxis? Well, let's say one hospital routinely administers a single dose of cefazolin two grams for a clean contaminated procedure in the OR, and this patient's length, length of stay, for example, is five days. In this case, the hospital would accumulate zero days of therapy because, remember, antibiotics administered in the OR don't count in facility-wide reporting, and they would also accumulate five patient days. 
Alternatively, let's say another hospital administers the same preoperative dose, but continues cefazolin two grams IV every eight hours for a total of six doses after the surgery. So regardless of the surgery time, those postoperative doses will undoubtedly be administered across a minimum of two, but likely three days, calendar days. And therefore, this hospital would accumulate three antibiotic days of therapy and five patient days. So while these differences in practice might not sound like a lot over the course of an entire year in a hospital that performs a lot of surgeries, these days of therapy can really accumulate. So at this point, a reasonable question to ask might be, so what? What's the harm in a few extra post-operative doses of an attractive agent like cefazolin? And that's a great question that fortunately folks have researched. But before I get into the study that we're going to examine in this episode, I want to mention that there are guidelines on surgical prophylaxis, and I want to discuss it more specifically their recommendations surrounding postoperative antibiotic doses. They somewhat differ. For example, the CDC recommends discontinuation of prophylactic antibiotics in all clean and clean contaminated surgeries immediately after the incision is closed while the American College of Surgeons, or ACS, guideline states that the optimal duration of antibiotic therapy remains unknown for certain clean procedures, including joint arthroplasties and cardiac procedures. One point that I'd like to make clear is that despite the fact that organizations such as SCIP allow for antibiotics to be continued for up to 24 hours after surgery end time, 48 hours for cardiac surgeries, these antibiotics do not reduce the risk of infection and are often unnecessary. In short, a single preoperative dose of antibiotic prophylaxis is sufficient in the overwhelming majority of cases. Now let's review a study published in 2019 that sought to characterize the association of the duration of postoperative surgical prophylaxis with the incidence of outcomes, including surgical site infection, acute kidney injury, or AKI, and C. difficile infection. This study is titled Association of Duration and Type of Surgical Prophylaxis with Antimicrobial-Associated Adverse Events, and it was published in JAMA Surgery. The lead author is Weston Branch Elliman from the VA Boston Healthcare System, and I've included a link to this study in the episode notes of the podcast platform. It's also going to be available on our website. In this study, the authors retrospectively reviewed all patients who underwent cardiac, orthopedic joint, colorectal, and vascular surgeries in the VA healthcare system from October of 2008 through September of 2013, so a five-year period. Subjects were only excluded if outcomes data such as surgical site infection were unavailable. Ultimately, they reviewed a little over 79,000 surgical procedures. So this study was very large. The outcome variables the reviewers measured were development of surgical site infection at 30 days, seven-day incidence of acute kidney injury or AKI, and 90-day incidence of C. difficile infection. The exposure variables, of course, were duration of antibiotic prophylaxis, choice of prophylaxis, and they classified either as beta-lactam, vancomycin, or other. They also looked at whether or not the patient received combination therapy. 
So covariates that were identified prior to the study um, that were used to adjust for confounding included both patient and surgical factors. Patient factors included age, sex, race, tobacco use, history of diabetes, prior receipts of NSAIDs or PPIs, MRSA colonization status, and mupirocin uh, administration. And surgical factors included anesthesia type, cardiopulmonary bypass time, and intraoperative blood loss requiring transfusion. So what did these reviewers find in their nearly 80,000 reviews? So as far as the antibiotic prophylaxis goes, patients primarily received, as you'd guess, either a beta-lactam like cefazolin or vancomycin for prophylaxis for a median duration of 18 and a half hours after skin closure. However, a little over 21,000 or 27% of patients received greater than 24 hours of prophylaxis with around 1% or 886 receiving over 72 hours of prophylaxis. In adjusted analyses, patients were stratified into categories based on the duration of antibiotic therapy by days. These categories were less than 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours, 48 to 72 hours, and greater than 72 hours. After adjusting for surgical site infection risk factors, prophylaxis durations greater than 24 hours did not lead to reductions in SSI among any of the surgery types evaluated in this study. And keep in mind, these surgeries, cardiac and orthopedic surgeries, are the types of surgeries in which the guidelines do not really address with a firm statement regarding the appropriate uh, duration of prophylaxis. So we know that longer durations did not reduce the risk of SSI, but what about patient harm? This study demonstrated that the duration of prophylaxis was independently associated with increasing odds of postoperative AKI and C. difficile infection. In fact, every single day of antibiotic exposure increased the risk of harm, and it was truly a dose-dependent effect. Regarding specific agents, vancomycin use for any duration appeared to increase the risk of postoperative AKI. Contrary to what you might think, aminoglycoside administration was not independently associated with AKI unless it was given in combination with vancomycin. And regarding antibiotic combinations, the authors found that any combination increased the risk of AKI and the risk increased with each additional day of exposure. We all know that clindamycin has been associated with C. difficile. Surprise, surprise. Well, this study too found that not only clindamycin, but also fluoroquinolones appear to increase the risk for postoperative C. difficile infection. So there are certainly limitations to this study that I should mention. First, it was retrospective, so the authors couldn't really adjust for effects of unmeasured confounders on the observed outcome. In addition, there might have been selection bias with more complex patients receiving prolonged antibiotic courses. In addition, confounding risk factors for C. difficile infection such as concurrent antibiotic use and length of stay weren't measured. It also has somewhat less general, generalizability due to the fact that it was conducted within the VA system and the overwhelming majority or 96% of patients were men. But despite these limitations, the takeaway from this study are solid. And I think we can apply these key points to optimize surgery prophylaxis at our hospitals and improve patient care.
So this episode wouldn't be complete if I didn't discuss the practical applications of these study findings at our Dayson hospitals. I know with 100% certainty that adjusting surgical prophylaxis recommendations at our hospitals can be difficult. After all, many small hospitals survive financially as a result of strong orthopedic surgery practices or other surgical practices. But this study truly demonstrates that even minor changes to post-operative antibiotic use in surgery patients can have a real impact that can be measured. In fact, the last line of this study that was written by the study authors was, every day and every dose matters. So here are my recommendations to begin to optimize surgical prophylaxis in the community hospital setting. First, avoid vancomycin whenever possible. The number needed to harm for acute kidney injury was just nine, six, and four for patients receiving vancomycin for 24 to 48 hours, 48 to 72 hours, and greater than 72 hours, respectively. Second, avoid combination prophylaxis whenever possible. This study demonstrated that combination regimens significantly increase the risk of AKI, and they found the risk of AKI to increase with every single additional dose or day of exposure. In fact, the authors found that among patients receiving combination prophylaxis, the number needed to harm for one episode of AKI was 18.7, while the number needed to treat to prevent a single surgical site infection was 167. Obviously, combination regimens really come into play when patients report allergies to our first-line agents, Therefore optimizing, therefore, optimizing the allergy documentation process within your electronic health record is a key component of making sure all eligible candidates receive first-line or most appropriate therapy. Third, avoid clindamycin and fluoroquinolones when possible. This study demonstrated the risk of postoperative C. difficile infection was 53% greater among patients receiving these antibiotics for surgical prophylaxis. Third, avoid clindamycin and fluoroquinolones when possible. This study demonstrated the risk of postoperative C. difficile infection was 53% greater among patients receiving these agents for prophylaxis. Even a single dose of clindamycin or a fluoroquinolone can have a real impact on the gut microbiome. And lastly, avoid extra antibiotic doses or days when possible. The number needed to harm for C. difficile infection was 2,000 for the 24 to 48-hour group, 90 for the 48 to 72-hour group, and just 50 for patients receiving greater than 72 hours of surgical prophylaxis. Obviously, this is a bit easier said than done, but my recommendation would be to focus on fewer doses. For example, if the current practice at your hospital is to administer three postoperative doses, Try meeting with the surgery group to share these data and see if they'd be comfortable with two postoperative doses. While this result would not be perfect from an antimicrobial stewardship standpoint, it's definitely a great start. And that concludes the Dayson Digest podcast episode for this week. Thank you all for listening and be sure to tune in every other Friday for new episodes of the Digest. And until next time, take care. 